I want to begin by saying I like your language of body work. I think that the hyper-spiritualization of the gospel to the detriment of its physicality. Um, the, a primary theological driver of Christian thinking and being is the incarnation. Welcome to all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. On today's podcast, I am joined by Reverend William H. Lamar IV. Bill Lamar is the pastor at Metropolitan AME Church in Washington, D.C., and formerly the managing director of leadership education at Duke Divinity School. Today, we discuss the politics of Jesus, the role of the Christian faith in the public square, and the church in North America's responsibility, perceived or otherwise, for civilization and the social order. Join us in the Amen Corner, because we've got body work to do as we talk about the body politic. But first, won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God, who is not a lame duck or a church bureaucrat, who cut through red tape with Jesus's cross, who came to save the whole world and not our corner of it, we confess that Jesus was local. God in the neighborhood, Jesus walked the streets, not for votes, but to give voice to a kingdom coming, beckoning all who were tired. Come to me. No hometown hero, but an underdog and the least likely to succeed, Jesus surrounded himself not with the powerful, but those deemed pitiful, the victims of power and greed. We confess that we play politics when it comes to Jesus' identity, and that race is a strange bedfellow, since Jesus didn't come to save our skin, but our souls. We say that we are Christians, but we don't want to get in too deep, because salvation is not skin deep because we crossed our hearts and were supposed to die with Christ in those baptismal waters. Since Jesus didn't die for the status quo, then baptism is not an opportunity to wash and repeat. Instead, it is an overwhelming flood that drowns out all that we were. It cleanses us of our divisions and erases the lines that separate us, connecting us to who we were created to be. God, help our unbelief and empower us to become the community we have not seen. In the name of Jesus, whose name we toss around like a political football, we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in the South in the early 1990s, when Palm Pilots and electronic diaries were the fad, but it was considered worldly because my family couldn't afford it, 
During the worship service, persons offered a testimony. It was a weekly update on how God was at work in our lives. We began first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, and friends. Well, today I want to testify about the North American church as the body politic. The things people do in Jesus' name. Raised Pentecostal holiness, they laid hands on us. All hands in and on our heads, we were filled by the Holy Spirit. We needed to change hands. We were young, full of the devil, and consequently, he needed to be cast out. I have never figured out how evil is personified as male, and yet women are the devil. But I guess the devil is in the details, and I digress. I must confess that I thought hands raised in worship, that pointed fingers from the pulpit didn't lick their fingers after eating their own cannibalistic theology. I have seen Jesus' message sacrificed for money. Ministries become monuments and then memorials to long-dead members and presented as, we're just doing this in the meantime. But over time, it is rewritten as, for the greater good. Bait and switch, then persons wonder why churches cannot attract new members. Because they want to worship God, not the way we do things around here. They want to follow Jesus, not Robert's rules of order, which have been used to vote people out, defund youth ministries, to not support community engagement and involvement, and fire pastors who took Jesus' words too seriously, who didn't preach like the benefactor told them to who shook her hand and said, we need to see you after the service. Properly moved and seconded, I have sat in business meetings where the members wanted nothing more than business as usual. Voted out. Power struggles reveal too often that the North American church is not moved by the Spirit. That we have laid hands and cast out that Holy Ghost as if the devil. Which is why so many are waving goodbye deconstructing, reconstructing, and rebuilding on the rubble that was for what will be. No microphone or megaphone. We are simply claiming our voice and digging deep. I've seen good people lose faith, lose heart, and leave the church because they believed the words of Jesus and witnessed church leaders not follow through on them. They left the church to follow Jesus because they didn't expect his red words to get wrapped in red tape. Persons are casting ballots left and right, and we all watch politicians lay hands on rights that shouldn't call for a vote. So I'm calling on the North American church, the body politic, to rally around Jesus' words or be called a hypocrite, because what else should you be saying or doing in Jesus' name? This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Fellowship Southwest is a network of churches organized around compassion. FSW is agile, ecumenical, and willing to do whatever it takes to serve people in need. Their network includes all kinds of churches, and they like it that way. At FSW, your church can be itself and your mission can be multiplied. Learn more at fellowshipsouthwest.org. 
American Baptist Home Mission Societies is your partner in mission and ministry, empowering God's people for today's real-life challenges. Through continuing education that sharpens ministry skills, mission trips that put faith into action, and a virtual platform for ministry professionals to network and learn from one another, American Baptist Home Mission Societies helps you live your faith every day. Visit American Baptist Home Mission Societies at abhms.org to find out more. Religious freedom has been white too long. Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty is exploring this truth and reimagining its mission at the intersection of religious freedom and racial justice. Listen and learn with BJC. Visit bjconline.org resources for videos, discussion guides, podcasts, and more to help your congregation and community host meaningful conversations about faith, freedom, and justice. Pastors for Children mobilizes the faith community for public education support and advocacy. They have affiliates in Texas, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Florida, North Carolina, and Alabama. You can find them, Pastors for Children, on Facebook and Twitter and learn more at pastorsforchildren.com. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. Welcome Bill Lamar. He is a thought leader and a prolific writer, having written for the Washington Post, Christian Century, and the Huffington Post, among others. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the body politic. We're having this podcast church service and we're going to talk about uh, the church's body work. And so I've invited you on to talk about the body politic. Um, so the first question is this. Uh, the church is to be a sign of a kingdom coming uh, with a new kind of citizenry. Uh, but the North American church also plays politics. Uh, where do we need to work? Uh, that is the hands and feet, uh, the heart, eyes or ears, mind or mouth in the body of Christ in order to believe more healthily, to function more productively. What would you say are the politics of Jesus, and why is it so hard for the church to relate to him? Well, I want to begin by saying I like your language of body work. I think that the hyper-spiritualization of the gospel to the detriment of its physicality, yeah. um, the, a primary theological driver of Christian thinking and being is the incarnation the belief that God has become flesh in Christ and the knowledge that is not just Christian knowledge, but human knowledge that we exist because we embody the divine. We breathe in and out, we inhale, we exhale the breath of God. The way the mythos in Genesis says it is that God breathed into us the breath of life. We are incarnational creatures. And the ultimate Christian expression of theology 
is the incarnate Christ, God embodied, God enfleshed. And so if we're going to talk about body work, we have to begin there. And then when you think about the politics, and I'm going to try to read this together, uh, hopefully uh, you and the listeners be able to follow. I think about the Constantinian captivity of the church in the West, yeah. about Constantine's dream of capturing under the banner of Christ, under the cross, and that Constantinian impulse to conquer instead of building the kingdom of God, the Constantinian impulse to take land, which is the American story, the Constantinian impulse to conquer peoples, to commodify them, which is also the impulse of the North American church. Many theologians are saying that that Constantinian compromise, captivity of the church is breaking. Uh, I like to believe that, I'm not so sure. The body work is for us to live God's dream and not Constantine's dream. Yeah. The body work is for us in the ways that we live and love, the economies that we build, the politics that we build, the way we care for each other, not to continue in the North American context or Christian context writ large to pimp the gospel, disfigure, deform the gospel Well, for the toward the end of conquering. So I want to say a little bit more about politics. Politics are inescapable. Where two or three are gathered, there will be politics. <laughs> politics exists, Starlet, with you and your son when you're trying to decide what you're going to eat at night. It exists with you and your friends when you desire, when you're trying to figure out where you might go to spend an evening together. Politics ensues when unlimited human desire meets with limited options, meets with limited choices. And so I really tire of people who speak of an unpolitical or apolitical church because nothing is more political than the gospel. It reorders society. It reorders us spiritually so that we can be reordered in the work that we do in our bodies. Yes, sir. So I, I want to simply say that we are incarnational, that the Christ event lifts up the fact that God has become flesh, and that the political work of the North American church has mirrored Constantine. Yes, sir. His dream, which is the nightmare of Christ. So what we have to do is to embody that dream of Christ. We have to return to being deeply spiritual connected to that breath of God, that that breath might be manifest in our bodies in the building of this reign of God, this kingdom of God. So well said. Y'all hear my teacher, that teacher preacher <laughs> coming out, that intellectual. Uh, sir, Reverend Dr., speaking of intellectuals, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that democracy transformed from thin paper to thick action is the greatest form of government on earth. Uh, how does the North American church, the kingdom of God on earth, turn the thin pages of scripture into a thick action plan that represents the marginalized, minoritized, and hyper-criminalized in society? What rehabilitation, what body work needs to be done for Christianity to represent all people, no matter their political affiliation, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, geographic location, and regardless of the sociopolitical construct of race, what is our body work? 
So I want to begin by starting. I, I can no longer say, and I don't think that anyone who respects words in the beginning was the word. The word yes. was with God. The word was God. Yes. Words create worlds. Yes, they do. And what I'm clear about is I can no longer in good conscience refer to the United States of America as a democracy. Well, it's not. It was not founded to be a democracy. Democracy, demos in the Greek, it is ruled by the people. Yes. They were clear from the beginning that all human beings were not people and that only property white males would have the franchise and political, ecclesial, economic power. And so anyone that calls this American imperial experiment democratic is participating in a dangerous propaganda. Yeah. And, and let me be clear, I know for a lot of people that's gonna be heavy, black, white, everybody, what are you what are, what are you saying? I'm saying this ain't no democracy. Come now, on, this ain't. If you look from the beginning of the American experiment and now, so let, let's use black people for an example. I was born in 1974. My parents were both born in 1950. They lived in legalized apartheid in America. I'm one generation removed. The Voting Rights Act, 1965, Two generations after, right now, yeah. doing everything they can to prohibit people like me, like us, like many of your listeners are voting. America has taken seriously citizenship for less than 40 years. Mm. And patting America on the back. America may indeed aspire to be a democracy, but it's hard for me to be convinced of even that. So let's look then at other political constructs. You have plutocracy, which is government by the wealthy. We have that. You have oligarchy, which is government by a cabal of a few powerful people. We have that. You have cacistocracy, which is government by idiots. And we have that. What I, what I am looking for is people who understand that every human being in this space deserves to fully participate you have almost half of America's citizens seeking to control politics by eliminating anything that smells like democracy. Yes. They don't want people to vote. They don't want people to have living wages. They don't want people to have health care. And one of the things that Martin King and others talked about, and King wrote Coretta a letter in 56 or 57, I'm, I'm losing the details now, where he says, I'm more socialistic than capitalistic. King was a deep, deep, deep critic of American democracy. Now, his great speech sought to reel us into a positive vision. And, I, it's, and I'm, I'm trying to get to that rhetorical space because it is definitely better to be in that rhetorical space than a negative rhetorical space. But let me say this. The body work that we must do based on us having as people of faith to dispense with the propaganda that America is a democracy. That's a lie. America was founded by wealthy white men for wealthy white men. That history has to be told. I don't want to demonize white folks, but it's the truth. Read, read what they wrote. Read don't read the Federalist Papers, read the minutes of the Constitutional Convention. The Federalist Papers cleans that up. Read how from the very beginning, 
beginning, they try to keep democracy from flourishing. What is the electoral college other than a means to protect this nation from democracy? What is the US Senate other than a means to protect this nation from true democracy? They put in place, James Madison, the father of the constitution says, the Senate exists to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority, from the very beginning. And they left the clues for us. And so I am clear that those who are people of faith have to exist in an economics and, in a, and within a polity, right? Within a politics. If we believe that all human beings are stamped with the divine, if we believe that we all are made in the image and likeness of God, then we must name the truth of this nation. But I am more compelled to build something where we all can share together. Yes. So this is the body work that King laid out. We must use our bodies, minds, spirits, and souls to fight American capitalism. That's right. To fight the way that the wealthy accumulate hordes of resources on the backs of the masses. You cannot sustain anything approximating democracy with the wealth inequality that we have. Martin King was clear that the triple evils of capitalism, which we must engage our bodies and minds against, militarism, which is another way of speaking of the American empire. So let's talk about the issues in Haiti right now, right? We view the, the, the situation and what's happening in Haiti, but we don't think about the fact that for years, America has intervened in imperial ways to destabilize the Haitian Republic. And when the Haitians fought against the French for democratic rule to overthrow the yoke of slavery, America sided with France when France demanded that Haiti pay them. Tell the story. Their colonial losses. America has not been on the side of democracy. And so our bodies must be engaged against capitalism, against imperialism. And then the last thing that Martin King talked about, he talked about capitalism, he talked about imperialism, and he talked about materialism, right? This, this, this sense that we are defined by stuff. He talked about thingification by human beings are not seen as subjects of God's love, but they are objects to create capital, yeah. right? And so we, we have to use our bodies. And it, I think one of the things I think about, we, everything in the gospel that is bodily, the church spiritualizes. Yeah. The fiction is macabre and gory, and we spiritualize that. The feeding of multitudes we spiritualize. And I think that those who have interpreted scripture, who have had power of interpretation, have been clear that they want to spiritualize things so they can control the material. And, and we have to counter that in our reading, our proclamation, and the ways that we build community together. My IQ just went up 10 points. <laughs> you are funny. Now, the listeners can you can't see me, but my 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 cheeks hurt. I was smiling so hard. What a full um, and truly indigestible answer uh, to a question that demands that. Uh, I'm so sick of palatable answers. Slick, greasy, um, stand in this line and pay a hundred dollars, and I'll give you an answer. Kind of 
answers that come from the church. I'm deeply grateful for this conversation. Uh, a follow-up question is this, uh, how do local churches that traditionally cater to the personality of the pastor, who is the leader, but not the head of the church, or a principal benefactor, uh, begin to serve the needs of all members? How do we become good stewards of power? And what does it say about the body politic when Christian leaders abuse it? I think that I have to confess myself that I have not always used power well, that I've not always used it to the glory of God. And I am moving in ways to be redeemed in that prayerfully and to uh, to have moments of metanoia, which is not the thin, I feel bad about what I've done, but to change directions, to move a different way. Yes. So I think that the church has abused power because leaders in the church have abused power. The, the church is not some, like when, when Mos Def uh, in his great album, uh, Black on Both Sides, he says that hip hop is not some creature in the mountain, hip hop is us. So the church is not some creature in the mountain, the church is me. Yeah. And we have abused power. And what, let's, so let's talk about this cult of personality thing. Um, let's talk about it. It's, it, it is, I think it's, it's a great challenge because I think the church attracts people into leadership who have that bent, which is why the spiritual disciplines, community accountability, are necessary, the, the internal spiritual disciplines, but the external community types of discipline to keep us from wrapping the gospel in, in the warped wardrobe of ego. Mm. That, that's difficult. And that's a daily- What you say? That's a daily fight. That fight has to happen every day. This is why confession and true repentance, turning away, have to be built into the rhythm uh, of the church. But I think more so in our era, I think the temptation was always present, but technology feeds it in a way today. Um, social media, everybody, we're branding ourselves. We're, I mean, everybody's a star. Everybody's his or her own marketing agency. And I'm of the belief that the medium does impact the message. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I'm with you. I, I lament quick, easy answers. And we have to be careful that we understand that the essence of the gospel may not be able to fit into the platforms uh, that we use. And I think that let's be clear. Um, it is okay to engage technology, but we have to engage it critically. Uh, the printing press, so the Bible itself, that, that's engaging technology, right? Yeah. Uh, recording sermons, whether on wax or on video files or in podcasts, that's the use of technology. So, so I think the technology should be used to bring people into fuller and richer conversations, but the conversations that need to be had cannot be captured in the format. It, it should be like breadcrumbs leading people to the majestic loaf that is before us. But we can't subsist on crumbs. We need the loaf. We need to be at table together mm. in 
conversation. So when I think about this, this whole cult of personality, it has existed uh, from the beginning of church and any type of religious reality. Uh, you, you, we've read about how so many people have manipulated the gifts of the church uh, to their own end. And, and I think all of us have this to a certain extent. And so I, I think that we have to critically engage whatever technology that people like me who stand before folks and preach, teach, need to engage in the kind of spiritual life that will remind us of what is said in the gospel. John says, I must decrease yeah. increases, right? And so the ego, as I said, is, is insatiable if not controlled by the things and the power, the beauty, the majesty, the correction of the spirit. So that has to happen individually and internally. It has to happen externally. And then we have to be clear that all the mediums that we may engage to use the gospel, we, we, have, we have to know their limits. I think one of the problems we see, Starlet, is the people who only gauge, engage in these bite-sized platforms are missing out on deeper conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And their lack of nourishment is evidenced in their anemic theological imagination. Yeah. yeah. And in their anemic ethical responses. I should say our anemic theological imaginations and our anemic ethical right. responses to what we see in the world. So good. I'm taking copious notes. I hope there's not a quiz after this service. <laughs> I'm gonna shake it your hand at the be. end of the service and I'm gonna say it was a good sermon. That's what I'm gonna say. When you say, what did we talk about? I'm gonna say it was a good sermon. We went to church, we had church. How, how, how did the North American church come to represent uh, partisan politics? And what is the body work ahead if we are to separate church from state? How should the North American church believe and behave in the public square? For example, with civil disobedience, or as a maintainer of the social order, the status quo? What say you? I say that we are called to be political. Um, the people who say to you that they are not political are the most political. <laughs> what you they, say? <laughs> they seek, they're lying. So on the right, people will say they're not political, but they have killed public schools. Yeah. They have, they have killed the possibility of universal health care. Yes. They have doubled down on white resentment and the politics of white supremacy. Oh. And all of those things are political. Jerry Falwell, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, who was used by corporate America. Read Kevin Cruz's book, One Nation of God, used by corporate America to baptize capitalism, to fight against the politics of communal care. Now, Roosevelt wasn't perfect, uh, but his vision of the Commonwealth and caring for all, even though he had to sell out black folks to get social security and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just American history, but- I like the way you tell it. Yeah, we, we, need, we need to be clear that everything we do is political. Yeah. The church is a political body. We cannot not be political. Ours are the politics of one who, according to the Gospels, is born into the world 
to point in an imperial moment toward the true ruler of the earth, toward the maker and creator of all things seen and unseen. Our politics are the politics that disrupt and interrupt empire. So read the gospels. The titles that Luke gives to Jesus, son of God, yeah. are titles that were given to the Caesars, to the emperors. This is a story of the interruption of empire. Anyone, Billy Graham included, who married the imperial economics to Christianity is doing the work of Antichrist. Ah. Because Christ comes into the world to disrupt the imperial reality, the imperial cultus, the imperial spirituality. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me in Luke 4 to do everything to unravel the politics, the spirituality, the economics of empire. Those of us who uncritically follow what North American politics does from the left and from the right are engaging in the spiritual and ethical work of Antichrist. It is Preach. the work of the disruption and interruption of empire. Let me, let me say this. So John says he came into the world, his own did not receive him, received him not as the King James says. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is executed yeah. by empire in collusion with the Billy Grahams of the day, Woo! in collusion with the Paula Whites of the day, the Franklin uh, uh, Grahams of the day, the Jerry Falwells, of the day, all the sycophantic Negroes who follow them, all of those people, we as well. One of the things I think about the, the Christian story, Starlet, is a story of deicide. Yeah. <laughs> it is a story of people like us with a murderous lust to kill God, mm. the things of God. Lord. And so when I think about the politics of North America, Christians are those who disrupt those politics with the politics of one who was executed by imperial power, mm. but exonerated by the power of resurrection. Now, this moves more into the body work question. <sighs> the logic of resurrection, both theologically, metaphorically, poetically, it is designed to create a people of, who are unafraid of death. So look at empire. Empire sustains its power because people are afraid to die. If you raise up people who are unafraid of death because they know that God is more than, beyond, and God is the God of life, we engage our politics. We build communities of prayer, of fasting, of confession, of embodying the ethical work that is spirit empowered in the ministry of Jesus, then we no longer fear death. Yeah. One of the songs that our ancestors would sing, and I grew up hearing this song, I keep so busy working for the master, I ain't got time to die. Yeah. We cannot be afraid of death. That's right. The reason we limit our political vision to that of Democrats who don't do enough, Republicans who ain't trying to do nothing, <laughs> is because we are afraid of death. We are afraid of not being invited to the White House. Yeah. We are afraid of not getting a promotion. We're afraid of not getting a bigger church. 
we're afraid of being called communist. Well, that's what they call Martin King. That's what they call Cesar Chavez. That's what that's they right. call Fannie Lou Hamer. That's, that's right. Called Jesus. And so all of this foolishness about apolitical, those are the people married most of the politics of empire and death. And what we must do is be unafraid to die because that will be the cost of following Jesus. I don't appreciate you saying all that so calmly. Uh, listeners, you don't know this, but I threw my piece of paper at the screen. I didn't holler. I didn't say preach because it was getting so good. So I just kept it in. But while he was, we just had, I don't know if you know this, but we just had church, a Bible study and a history lesson just, just now. I don't, I don't know if y'all are paying attention. I'm taking copious notes and still not able to keep up. What's your cash app? Uh, My Lord. Nothing. <laughs> That's another thing. All these people put up all these cash apps. Well, <laughs> go, go ahead. They already going to have a meeting in the parking lot after this podcast as it is. They already going to put us out. <laughs> calling the roll and calling names. Last question. Last question, pastor, teacher. Uh, preacher and my good friend, um, much harm has been done uh, by the North American church as it has uh, and continues to participate in every uh, abuse of humankind, uh, supporting colonialism and conquest, slavery and segregation, uh, capitalist systems that degrade our fellowship, sexual harassment, predation and abuse, uh, terrorism and tyrants, misogyny and white supremacy. Uh, what is the constitution of this body politic? And what is the body work needed for churches to promote health, wholeness, authentic human being and belonging? I think again, so I can't say more than I tried to say earlier about the captivity of the church's imagination and racial logics and gender logics. Yes. Imperial logics. And Willie Jennings is very, very helpful here. Yes, he is. After yeah. white, after yes. whiteness and education after, and belonging. After, My Lord. Yep, after whiteness, Christian imagination. Yeah. My way of, of I mean, he much more elegant and, and erudite than I could be. But I think what he's trying to say in Bill Lamar language is the way that you reconstruct that political reality in which the American church unfortunately finds itself captive is you have to understand the logics of separation and segregation. So I had never thought about this, but you keep people separate so that you can maintain power over them all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the very wealthy folks in this nation keep us separate, poor people, working people, mm -hmm. black, white, brown, gay, straight, so that our humanity does not brush up against one another and so that we will believe the lies that they have told us to believe mm -hmm. will not come together to build the kind of politics that can reconstitute uh, the pol political economy and the spirituality of the That's state. That's it. And so the way we overcome it is by transgressing the lines they have put in place. Yes! And, and let me be clear now, I am not for this you know, have black friends, have white friends, have gay friends. That ain't, that, that's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's a photo op. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about richly, painfully engaging human beings different than yourself. Yeah. With and among them, sharing their pains, 
being able to be bruised by them as they are bruised by you. To see the common humanity and to not get in the way of what spirit is always trying to create. So one of the things that Jennings writes about in his commentary on the book of Acts is this Holy Spirit does at least two things. The spirit blows us to places we would never choose to go and blows us into people we would never have discourse, communication, or fellowship with. What the American political structure and the American ecclesial structure does is designed to interrupt the blowing of the spirit. Uh. Our politics and our ecclesiology are designed to put up buffers to keep the spirit from blowing. If we were ever to recognize that our politics and our ecclesiology are designed to hinder the blowing of the spirit and work to a, to be blown as the spirit blows, I'm be very 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 honest with you. That's ugly business. That's yeah. painful business. Yeah. It's problematic business, but it is business that leads to the glory of God and leads to the transformation of the human person. So. I believe in the deification that the Eastern church talked about. God has become human that humans might be elevated to the divine. And that's the work of spirit. And what they do in injuring us politically, economically, is they're trying to bruise that ascent toward divinity that is written into us. So the reason our mothers and fathers saying we are climbing Jacob's ladder there were angels descending and ascending. Oh, yes. God's power coming down that we might move up. And the directional language, of course, is metaphorical, but is that it is that we know that we who are deeply human are also deeply divine. And yes. these structures that are evil are designed to make us unaware or forgetful of that fact. But if we ever get to the place where the spirit starts blowing us the yes. way that she wants to yes. blow us, yes. blowing down the evil politics in this nation, blowing <laughs> down the oppressive ecclesial structures, as our mothers and fathers said, and I'll end here, when all God's children get together, ah. time, what a time. Ah. Ah. Thank you, my friend. Now that's body work. That's how we do it. Yes. That's more than a hoop, a holler, and a shout. Yes. That's something to say preach pastor about. I am deeply, deeply grateful to you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I want to thank our guest, Bill Lamar, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus, who is our body politic, and whom we live, move, and have our being. This Jesus, who is our collective identity and our common good. Invite him to journey with you, because he won't play politics. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. You can support the work and witness of the Raceless Gospel Podcast by giving to Good Faith Media. Please visit our website, goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep doing this body work. 
Head over to Our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Danielle Bridgeforth and discern the church's body language and what is lost in translation.